What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is powered by Stickin' Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. Stickin' Ball has some of the best content on the web from some of the greatest baseball and softball coaches in the country. And don't let me forget to mention, it's all updated weekly. It's absolutely a no-brainer. So go check it out at stickandball.tv or on the Stickinball TV mobile app. On today's show, we have on two outstanding guests in Tom House and Jason Goldsmith, founders of The Mustard App. Jason is a globally recognized performance coach who emphasizes the mental aspects of optimal performance in high pressure environments. In addition to golf, where he has coached six major champions, multiple top 10 players, and taken two golfers to world number one, Jason has worked in many major sports, including MLB, NFL, NBA, USTA, the NCAA, and with athletes and coaches from the US and Great Britain Olympic teams, including the 2016 Olympic gold medalist in golf and 2018 FedEx Cup champion, Justin Rose. Tom House is probably a man who needs no introduction in the baseball circles. He has been called the father of modern pitching mechanics and a professor of throwing. And in short, has lived his best life, as the kids say these days. He caught Hank Aaron's 715th home run. He was a pitching coach for Nolan Ryan. He was portrayed in the million dollar arm and then decided to jump into football to work with two guys you've probably never heard of in Tom Brady and Drew Brees, among others. So on the show, we discuss how the Mustard app will change the landscape of coaching pitchers. We talk about internal drives and motivations, and we get into stories about some of the aforementioned athletes. You're gonna love this episode with Tom House and Jason Goldsmith. Support for Ahead of the Curve is brought to you by Manscaped, the best men's body grooming champions of the world. Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. The craftsmanship and details of the 4.0 are next level. Manscaped engineered the ultimate body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. This upgraded trimmer includes a multi-function on and off switch that can engage a travel lock and it also gives you the ability to turn on the 4000k LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through the additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. Did I mention wireless charging? The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction which can help battery length last longer. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code CURVE20 at manscaped.com. Jason and Tom, thank you guys for hopping on the show with us today. Thanks for having us on. This will be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Tom, as as you and I were sitting backseat waiting uh, to figure out some of this technology stuff, you were singing Jason's praises on the app and, and just talking about how important he is to the mustard team. And, and I want to you know, start with you, Jason. So 
with the mustard app and we we see it a, a lot of it on social media and we see uh just the different markerless biomechanics markings so just what was the because you're a golf guy what was the process on getting this uh streamlined and uh just kind of talk, talk tell us a little bit about your vision i guess sure so i mean i think for me you know when whenever you're talking about tom house and and mechanics and functional strength you know it you know, quite possibly the greatest ever. And, uh, and when we started palling around about, it's probably been nine, 10 years ago now, uh, I brought a technology to the table that allowed us to get inside athletes' heads for the first time. And, and when that happened, it gave us insight. Primarily, I was using that for golf. But what Tom gave me was, uh, we were both working at USC at the time. What Tom gave me was access to tennis players, baseball players, football players, javelin throw, like you name it, you know, everybody was coming to see Tom. And so what we learned very, very quickly was that the process that we had created for golf translated to basically every sport. So as, as long as we, you know, we do a, a, a few things like, you know, teach people how to become more self-aware, then what that allows them to do is to be more in, more aware of the thoughts that they're having that aren't allowing them to be their most athletic self. And then once you could start to identify those things and you could create a, an individual process for the individual athlete, you know, then we're, we're teaching people how to get into the zone. And it's not this, you know, ethereal thing that kind of floats around and you get every once in a while, we can actually help athletes learn what the zone feels like and then how they can get into it on a regular basis. I love that. And, and Tom, I, I know you've been around the block. Uh, you've been in the big leagues all the way down, but it seems like one of your big passions is amateur pitching development. And it just seems like all the different avenues that you've taken in the last, you know, like you said, 10 years, that seems like a huge passion of yours. Well, again, this was, I look back and, and am just blessed to see what we were able to do when we were all up at USC. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but 80% of the 13 and under male and female athletes in the world quit um, before they're age 14, 80%. And we were sitting around talking about that one day and we said to ourselves, I wonder how many Nolan Ryans or, or Drew Breeses went home because they weren't getting either access to or uh, even if they had access, getting the right information. They weren't having fun. They, they weren't staying healthy. So that was the beginning of the thought process. How can we get everything that's in Jason's head everything that's in my head, everything that's in our hitting guys. You know, in other words, how can we get what we give our elite guys when they come in for a weekend at 30 grand? How can we put that in the hands of a mom and dad of a 12-year-old in, in the backyard? And that's what Mustard has become. Um, it's basically Tom, Jason, and all our really bright coaches in a cell phone. I love, I love seeing that. And, and I, again, we got the uh, the app about a week before the season ended, so we haven't really gotten a chance to use it. But I did have a couple of – two of our pitchers are Monday and Tuesday district guys. And so I wanted to show some video with you, and you were grateful enough to break this down for us. So 
So I'm going to share the screen uh, really quickly. And then while we're on the subject of uh, amateur player development, uh, this was this is one of our uh, guys. He's a rising senior, so he'll be a senior this year. And um, so I, you know, I I am going to play his his, uh, his video here. This is the home view for those uh, who are listening on the podcast. But I'm just going to play it. And if you want me to pause it at any point in time, but just tell us a little bit about when we're breaking down amateur pitchers' mechanics. Just some different markers that you look for. And again, you don't know players' injury history. I, we could go into all of that stuff, but, um, or their success, their not success striker, any and all of that, I'm sure would be helpful. But if you're, if just someone sent you a video, what are some different things that you look for? And then I'll, I'll play. Uh, that would, that would be great. And just so you know, the, the, the mustard app does exactly what we're going to talk about right now. Exactly. So you can just take him all the way through a delivery. Just sure. like the first time we pretend we've all seen it for the first time. Sure. Um, now, I'll tell you real quick, just to facilitate, this kid does a lot of things right. But the first thing we look at, even before we address mechanics, is timing. Um, when, when he initiates his windup, he steps into what is the stretch position. And we measure the millisecond that his total body starts forward. The clock starts. He has to get into foot strike in one second or less to fit our elite pitcher model. And my eyes tell me and my one Mississippi tells me that he does this. Once we've seen that his timing into foot strike is good, then we look at his kinematic sequencing. Do his legs, deliver his hips, deliver his shoulders, deliver his forearm, and then the baseball in a sequential movement. Legs first, then hips, then shoulders, then throwing forearm, and then baseball. And he does a pretty good job with that also. If I had one criticism, uh, so he checked, we put a check mark by timing, we put a check mark by kinematic sequencing. His eyes are level all the way through the delivery, so his balance and posture are good. His lift and thrust was pretty solid. The one thing, if, if I was working with him on a regular basis, he's a little soft with his glove side. Um, is this the side view of the same kid, or is this a new, a new, a new uh, lefty? This is a different kid. Okay. Do, before we move on from the last kid, all I would, if you went on the Mustard app or you read anything about what we do, whoever's been working with that young man has done a great job. But I, I would strongly suggest they firm up his front side, a, a, a soft front side or a moving front side is a front side shoulder or a front side elbow issue. So I'm looking at that. If he could just keep his glove firm and stable over his front foot and bring his body to it rather than pulling his glove to his body. And, and, and that was quick, but that would be the one thing. Um, that, that kid does a really good job. That's one thing that I would suggest his coaching takes care of. Sure. So this is a, this is another kid. Uh, this is a, a, a rising sophomore, so freshman kid, long and lanky, and you'll, he looks like a baby giraffe uh, at okay. times, but did, did a really good job with just pitchability. I think he had a less than one ERA and um, just did a really good job of filling up the zone. But he was 80 to 82 as a freshman, which is, is pretty good. Uh, but here's here's his stuff. We have a little bit more uh, room to play here because this is our own video. The other one had some ads in it and stuff that's okay. kind of hard to fix. 
but I'll just play this and, and let you roll. This is game footage from an away game. All right. While we're watching, I think you mentioned this kid struck out 20 batters one time. The other kid did. Yeah. yeah. Okay. When you get a left-hander that's striking out 20 batters, I can tell you without even looking at him that he throws a curveball for a strike. Mm-hmm. There's good curveball hitters, but nobody hits a good curveball. If you've got a left-handed pitcher or you are a left-handed pitcher, learn how to throw a curveball and you'll pitch till you can't walk. All right. And looking at this kid, is pretty solid. And remember, if, he, if he's 14 or 15 and he's tall and skinny, the heaviest thing on his body is his head, and it shows up here. hes I'm really being a tough guy. But as he throws, watch the little tilt in his head. His head kind of tips toward third base as he goes home, and, and that's a strength issue. And most of that tilt takes place after foot strike. So the, what, what, believe it or not, the easiest fix for this young man until his core strength can stabilize his head a little bit more is have him think, throw sidearm. He, he won't do it, but if you tell him to throw sidearm, he'll keep his head on the first base side of, the, of his body rather than on the third, third base side of his body into release point. Everything else with this youngster looks good. How tall is he? Uh, he's, I think he grew at about an inch this summer, so he'd probably be about 6'3 now. All right. And then, again, I'm, I hope I'm not giving away the ranch here, Jason, but for every, one inch of, for every one inch of growth, it costs you two months of physical maturity. So mm-hmm. his chronological age might be 14, but I'll guarantee you if we ran him through all our testing, um, he's probably barely 13 and a half. He's probably six months behind – the chronological age of a guy that's a squatty body like me. Does, does that help you? Absolutely. Well, I wanted to uh, give our guests just a preview of whenever they do get the app, they're going to get this plus more. And so, and it's, and it's free. And so it's on their, it's on their cell phone. So all they had to do was sign up for the beta version. Uh, you guys send it out and then you're using uh, your, both of your, influence as a way uh, to be able to, to maximize player development for players and parents all over the country. And I think that's awesome. Democratizing. Jason, you can pick me after, after this, but democratizing elite information and instruction uh, will keep more kids playing longer. And we're not saying everybody's going to be a college or a big league pitcher, but if they can play through high school, then you've got a kid that it understands adversity, affiliation, um, realizes that you're not defined by your outcome, it's your process. And this is one of the things that Jason does so well. Um, and I'm going to throw this at you, and maybe, maybe Jason, you can explain. I'll give you a big definition where the zone is when thinking is inversely proportionate to the stimulus of the environment. And what Jason has brought to the party, you can actually measure what's going on in a kid's head between thinking and feeling and teach a youngster how to get in the zone and not just get lucky and hope that uh, you end up like a Hall of Famer that figures it out intuitively. So, Jason, would you mind, remember all the fun we had trying to figure out the difference between thinking and feeling and motion and quiet eye? Maybe even bring up the Drew Brees day that he was teaching his instructors or teaching his wideouts, and his, he couldn't get in the zone. But as soon as he, he came, 
In other words, explain what went on that day to make more sense out of it than I just did. Sure. Thanks, Tom. It's, it's really the difference between, you know, playing and thinking about how to play. So in the simplest terms, if you're in your head and you're thinking about how to do something, you're not being your most athletic self. And in, you know, today's day and age, everything is outcome based and, you know, and, and, and everybody is graded on, on, on statistical analysis and, and what they do and, and how well they do it. And, and because of that, athletes at earlier and earlier ages are being defined, they think, by their outcome. And, and that's the biggest issue. And so then they think about how they have to improve things. And, and then it really, like, like Tom would say, it, it turns into risk assessment rather than play. So, you know, the fastest way we all learn anything is when we really enjoy doing what we do and we can play at it. And, and you know, and through the trial and error and, and what, you know, some people would call failure is when we have our, our biggest breakthroughs. And, you know, and so that that's what we're trying to instill in everybody that we work with is is that you have to know the difference between when you're internally focused and externally focused and when you're in your head and thinking, which is trying or you're out of your head and you're externally focused and you're doing, which is playing. And so it sounds really simple. And, and you know, quite frankly, it, it is pretty simple but it's, it's recognizing the difference. And so Tom brought up a great example of, of one day we were fortunate enough to be on the field and, and Drew Brees was warming up some brand new receivers that were, that were going to come and play with him that year. And, and he was taking on a different role. And, and the role that he was playing at the moment was role of coach. And so in the role of coach, he was really internalizing all of the patterns that everybody was going to run and, and where everybody needed to be. And so he was kind of in his head thinking about how the play was going to develop. And, and what we noticed was as soon as he got behind center and stopped coaching and started being a quarterback again, then the thinking stopped and the playing started. And the difference between timing and and his accuracy of his passes and, and even the speed at which he was throwing the ball, everything completely changed. And so I think that's a great example of, you know, the difference between being in your head and thinking about how to do something and then being externally focused, where again, every sport is played externally, externally focused and actually playing the game. Did I do a good job there, Tom? Yeah, dead on. I'll give you a solid A, Jason. They don't come easy, but I'll give it to you. Okay. No, I love that, guys. And I think that, that it's so it, – that I, I can't reiterate how important that is, especially for the amateur players and coaches that are listening. And uh, I would love to be coached up on this, too. I, I do hitters. And so one of the things that we talked about, and I stole this from one of the Pirates mental coaches, he talked about we have a think box and a play box. And the think box is like when we're trying to fix something mechanically or we're trying to get a feel in. But once you step in between the light, white lines, then it's, then it's a play box. And we're more worried about what the pitcher is trying to do to us and what the ball is coming in. Because if we're thinking about how we feel, we're not focusing on what is coming at us. And in competition, uh, that's a, that makes a huge difference. And so I, I'd love to hear, one, your thoughts on that. But two, 
what are some different external things that uh, you guys have found to be successful for pitchers to focus on? You want to go first, Jason? Sure. So I, I would just say, you know, the I think the concept of the think box and the play box is is something that we've all heard. You know, and, and what I'd like to add to that is, is you have to have a way of transitioning between the two. So what I do with all the athletes that I work with is, you know, what we really focus on is performance. So, you know, performance training is the thing that fills the gap between the think box and the play box. And, and I think that's the element that most people are missing. So, you know, what you have to be able to do is put them in game-like situations and say, okay, now you've done all this, this training. Now you have to let go of all the training and now you have to perform again because that's what is going to, you know, the game is going to, is going to require you to perform. And I think most people don't focus enough on the actual performance piece, which I consider the transition piece between, you know, using your conscious mind, you know, creating new concepts, being comfortable with those new concepts. And then you have to basically let go of those concepts and then play with those concepts in the game. So, you know, to me, I think, you know, something that you could really, that would be really useful in your coaching is to start to, to work on performance drills and, and how do I simulate more game-like situations where I'm, you know, being, you know, with the athlete and I'm asking the athlete, you know, are we, are we thinking or are we doing, you know, can you notice the difference? So, you know, the sooner you can do that, I think you'll you'll start to see huge improvements in performance. And then to add into that, um, the kids that have the most trouble are smart kids that care too much. So the very thing that a mom and a dad want out of their kids when it comes to being a person can work against them in sport. In sport, you have to care enough, but you can't care too much. And you have to be able to think, but you can't think, like Jason says, you can't think and do. And what we've been able to determine is that we have all the measurables and the quantifiables. I don't think anybody has a better model, either biomechanically or with functional strength and force plates or with mental emotional. We can measure and quantify. Well, you know, one of the things that that I think that is, is really important. We could talk biomechanics and we could talk all, all of that stuff all day. I'm sure you guys would love that. But I, I want to get into the mental side because Tom, you and Jason both have gotten to work with just so many elite athletes. And I mean, it's just, just you, you have arguably worked with the greatest strikeout pitcher of all time. Some say the greatest pitcher of all time, Nolan Ryan, and probably the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, you guys mentioned earlier. I mean, uh, the, there's a laundry list of, of people that we could name, but I would love to hear just the similarities between them as far as process goes or as preparation, uh, mental side, anything that you would, uh, you would care to share with us in regards to any and all of that. It's mastery. And, and when, when you have a, a, a superstar that's, that's more concerned with getting fractionally better each day. It's like compound interest in the bank. And, uh, and Tom, Tom, you know, you know, basically said it's that need state, you know, you can't stop them from doing it. And, and to me, that's the difference. 
you know, when somebody needs to do something, you know, you, you, you can help them, you know, support them, but, but really there's, you know, they, they have such a motivation that they're going to figure out a way to get it done. And, and, and when you're lucky enough to work with somebody that, that trusts you and you're, you're lucky enough to be able to, you know, add value to, to what they're doing, then it's a great combination, you know? And, and to me, I think that's what, what Tom's saying is that you have these rare few people that have such a need to continue to get better every single day that you have to figure out a way as a coach to support them so that they can continue on that journey, which, you know, in a lot of cases, especially somebody like Tom Brady, you know, it's a never ending journey. You know, he, he's going to figure out a way to get better every single day, no matter what. And, uh, and to me, that's, that's the difference. If you can instill in a young person, this desire of mastery and understand that you're, you're, you know, you're constantly going to, 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 you know, butt your head up against, you know, failure and, and all these other things. But as, as long as you get up every single day with that burning desire to just get fractionally better, then you've, you've done everything you can do. Jason, can I, can I add on to that real quick, Jonathan? You just kicked something. The, the one thing that we get asked all the time is, um, you know, are you, are you striving to be the best on the field? And believe it or not, none of these guys care about being the best on the field. They care about being the best that they can be. And I got that early on. Jonathan, you and I were talking off camera. I was not, I was barely um, talented enough to be a below average big league pitcher. But I learned when I was at USC that I wasn't preparing myself to be the best player on the field. I was preparing myself to be the best player I could be. And Coach Rod Dato, who had a huge influence on my life, told me that every night when you're brushing your teeth, look back over your day and ask yourself, did you do everything you could be do to be the best Tom House you could be? If you did, go to sleep, have a great night, get up and start again tomorrow. All of that. There was another really good Tom at uh, USC at the same time, too. And, and I, as I was doing some research on you, reading about you, uh, did that factor in to that conversation that, that your head coach just had with you? Well, you did your homework, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> I tried my, to. My first bullpen at USC, I was throwing next to this human being, this large human next to me, a man child. And I'm watching him throw his fastball. And it, Probably the first time I'd ever seen a 95, 200 mile an hour fastball was Tom Seaver. And I'm <clears throat> grunting and, <clears throat> and I'm flipping my curveball and, <clears throat> and he's just going, Shee-pow! <clears throat> and Dale comes up, puts his hand on my shoulder and said, Tommy House, what do you think of young Tom Seaver? And I said, Coach, if you need me to beat Tom Seaver, you got the wrong left hander. He said, No, he said, no, no, no. no. Um, I want you to be the best Tommy House you can be. Throw your curveball, hold runners close, be durable. You'll both you'll both win a lot of games for the Trojans, and we did. No, I love that. I love that story. So th thank you for sharing that. Well, you're a great storyteller, by the way, Tom. I love that about you. 
by the way, it's the only reason Jason and the guys put up with me. So what my, <laughs> what my mom used to call remembering big is actually a talent. Ta telling stories is, I think it's why we all get together, right, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. My hope is in every interview that we do, I convince Tom to tell my favorite story. So at, at some point, we're going to have to egg him on and, and have him tell the, the seventh no-hitter story. Because, I, I, I mean, to me, there's so much packed into that story that I just, I mean, it... it, it have it, we got two minutes, Jonathan? Because it is a oh. really good story. And it's true. And it's documented from all the people that were there. So, Jason, I'm, off camera, I'm going to yell at you again. for. But, Jason, has how many times have you heard this story? Hundreds of times, and and my okay. hope is, my hope is, I hear it hundreds of more times. Me, me too. So, Jonathan, I'll do as quick as I can. Um, so, on the day that Nolan threw his seventh no hitter, it's mid August. It's Texas. It's hot. Nolan has a, a tender back and a bad left knee, but he's going through his process and his warm up, warming up to loosen up to get to the mound. When he went to the mound for his bullpen pregame, it's ugly. I mean, he's bouncing his fastball, no curveball at all, hadn't even tried a changeup. And he's rubbing his back and reaching down and, you know, filling with his knee. So I kind of snuck around behind him to the bullpen phone, and I called down to Bobby Valentine, our manager, and I said, Bobby, it doesn't look really good. I don't know if Nolan's going to be able to go today. And as soon as that came out of my mouth, out of my mouth, Nolan took off for the clubhouse. So I said, Bobby, I, I don't, Nolan just left. I, I, may, I think he quit. So I hung up. Bobby said, well, go find out what's wrong with him, and I'll get Barfield started, one of our relievers. Well, as it turns out, as I'm chasing in the clubhouse, I see Nolan's legs coming down the tunnel. So I know he's going to make the bench. He didn't make the, he didn't make the national anthem. But uh, after the national anthem, he jogs out. He goes through his warm-up tosses. And in that first inning, um, 13 pitches, three strikeouts, the worst fastball he threw on, the, on the velocity up on the scoreboard was 96. Off of that warm-up. So he comes down and sits down right next to me on the bench. And I said, Nolan, what the hell is going on? He said, Tom, I don't know, but this is one of them our days. And he looks down the bench and he goes, boys. And everybody stops because Nolan's talking. And this is an honest guy, Trace. I'm getting shivers right now. He said, get me one. It's all I'm going to need today. So nine innings later, basically 13 strikeouts, one walk, no hits. And I'm going, oh, wow. So, you know, media, ice, bike, whatever the whole nine yards is, we're walking out to our cars. After the, after the game, lights out. And as we're walking, I said, Tex, what, what happened today? You, you know, that warm-up, you suck. What was going on? Why would you walk off, off the bullpen mound? He said, Tom, it weren't getting no better in the bullpen. It had to get better in the game. And then he dropped the big one on me, and this is what Jason likes. And besides, I'd done everything I could possibly do to prepare for today's game. If I hadn't walked to work, I shouldn't have hired out. And he drove away. And I wrote that down verbatim. 
And the story is the same across the board that everybody that witnessed that. The key to the whole thing for Jonathan, you and your listeners, and it's reinforcement for me, did you do everything you could possibly do to be the best you could be today? And that's the difference between cocky and confident. Like I was not a very good athlete, but I was confident that I could be the best, not very good athlete I could be. And that's the lesson for the kid. All right. And it, confidence comes with preparation. And win, lose, or draw, if you're the best prepared you can be, it's a learning experience. Get on with it and start again tomorrow. Wow, that's a wonderful story. And I, honestly, I, I'm at a loss for words of where to go from there. I don't know how to follow that up. Uh, but but with, with Jason, I, I want to ask you this, too, because you are immersed in the world of golf where there's a ton of failure and baseball where there's a ton of failure. Your work, you know, you, you, you have a lot of different avenues. Uh, with that, how often, and this could be with both of you, how often do you see guys who are not very good pregame uh, and it affects them? Uh, but how many times do you also see it where it actually makes them better because maybe they have a heightened awareness of what's not working? I don't know. Like, I, I'd love for you to dig into the mental side of that. You know, I, I think it's it's what we were talking about in the beginning, which is it's about self-awareness. So to me, you know, athletes that have been around for a while have, have seen great warm-ups, not great games, not great warm-ups, great games, and, and everything in between. So, you know, to me, you know, what you're trying to do is you're – hoping to create a process and a mindset with the athlete that they they understand exactly what Tom just said. If you've done everything you could do to prepare, then really what you have to be able to do is flip a switch that when you get into the game, you just have to play. And and if you've, you know, made a good decision, you've you've run your process, you've committed to your action, you know, you visualize what you want to do, you have a sensation in your body, and then you perform an action, there really isn't anything else you can do anyway, because the outcome's out of your control. You know, so you could throw the best pitch of your life and the batter close his eyes and hit a home run, right? And you could throw the worst pitch of your life and the guy hit into a double play. You know, so when you, you know, you start to realize that that outcome isn't controllable, but what is controllable is the attitude that you bring to that specific environment and that specific moment, which is the present. If you've done all those things correctly, you know, then like Tom said, then you, you know, walk away with your chin held high. If you have a great game, great. You know, typically you don't learn a lot from a great game. You know, maybe you learn a few things, but you know, if, if you have a game where there were, you know, a bunch of unwanted outcomes, you know, then you, it's like a roadmap. Okay, well, here are the areas that maybe I have some blind spots that I need to improve. But if you have the mastery, you know, concept in your mind, you understand that it's a never, you know, ending journey, that this is just part of where you need to be and what's your next opportunity to grow from it. And that's really it. Can I jump in real quick here, Jonathan? You, you and I talked earlier. I had a hard 45. I've got a feel mm -hmm. right now. Jason, can you pick me up and explain the, the value that the kids learn when they play sports, when it comes to empathy, dealing with adversity, um, lear learning how, again, to, to recognize that everybody's in this for a reason, 
but you have to take personal responsibility, but especially the empathy and dealing with adversity to where parents that have not allowed their kid to experience failure are never as tough as those who did. And unless you can feel for your teammate who is having difficulties, you, you have trouble in life feeling for your brother, your sister, or your classmates. So Jason, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to pick pick me up here. I'm just taking myself out of the game and you gotta close it for me. Jonathan, I'll pal around with you guys anytime. I'm heading for the field. Have a blessed day, you guys. See you, Tom. Have a great day. Yeah, I think I think he he pretty much said what he needed to say there. You know, sports sports teach you lessons. And if and if you're affiliated with sports, you learn those lessons very well. And you know, and, and that's that's the difference between kids that grow up playing sports. You learn how to deal with unwanted outcomes, and and because of that, that you can empathize with other people who are dealing with unwanted outcomes as well. So, you know, to me, I think that's what Tom was was wanting to say. Is you know, we have to do everything to make sure that sports are available to kid you know no matter what their economic circumstances and, and that's why you know we created mustard and that's why we set a good you know an, an app that's going to hopefully lead to this social platform of, of people getting better at whatever it is they want to do i love that and, and i'd love for you to just end the show with uh, one, I'm, I'm really excited to dig into it this fall. I, I think that it could be a game changer, uh, for those who are listening, but everyone's curious, where can we find it and how can we get in contact with you guys? Yeah. So I, you know, to me, I think what the, the best thing to do is to, 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 you know, get on the website and to, uh, you know, apply for the, uh, the beta release. And, you know, if you could, get on the beta release. Great. I know that the actual release in the app store is going to happen sometime around mid August. So that's, you know, to me, that's the, the best way to get involved with mustard. And, and there are, you know, you can find us on, on Twitter and Instagram. I know they're starting to do some stuff on TikTok as well. So just, you know, look for mustard on all those platforms and, uh, and we'd be, you know, super stoked to have, you know, everybody get involved and, and give us as much feedback as possible. I love it. Well, Jason, and, and uh, if Tom is listening to this at a future date, I appreciate you guys' time and looking forward to the impact that you, I know you guys are going to make on our sport. So thank you so much. Yeah, anytime. Anytime you guys, like Tom said, you want to pal around with us, we're, we're happy to help. This is what we love doing. So, so thanks again, Jonathan, for having us on the show. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.